and gentlemen, let's go. Let's go. We ain't got no time to waste. Let's go. Let's go. You are now listening to Jason Anderson, and you are in the zone. The Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. K-State won a bowl game. We watched a mascot die on television and then be consumed. Joe Flacco has never been more elite. The Pistons lost again, but in dramatic fashion. And I don't know if I think the Chiefs are going to beat Jake Browning. What a sports night it was, and what a next few days it will be. Welcome in to The Zone here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am Joshua Briscoe. Dylan Michaels on the other side of the glass. Usually Jason Anderson would be in this chair, but he's on his way back. Uh, he'll be back on Tuesday. We'll all be back on Tuesday as uh, Sterling Holmes will be filling in for us on New Year's Day. But it is myself and Dylan getting you through the last weekday of 2023. And man, we could start in any number of places, but I do think I know where we must begin. It'll be a packed show all day, as usual, on a Friday. Todd Lebo's conversation with Lee Sterling will get you ready for the betting weekend coming up here in about 45 minutes or so. Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest will join us in studio for the 11 o'clock hour. Then we'll talk to Kendall Gammon, uh, the uh, Chiefs legend. I don't think he likes it when I call him a legend, but I'm going to keep doing it because he is one. And then uh, we'll uh, finish out the week with Mick Schaefer. He'll uh, be in studio around 1230. We'll hear from Andy Reid at some point. Presumably going to get some bad injury news, if I had to guess. Uh, I'm just not expecting Isaiah Pacheco to play at this point. I am hoping that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is is back and, and everything is okay there because Jarek McKinnon already out for the season. Didn't ever really get more clarification on that. I don't know if that's coming or not. But uh, no McKinnon, probably no Pacheco, no Kadarius Tony. if I had to guess. Maybe McCall Hardman is back for this game. But um, still a lot of moving parts for a Chiefs team that needs to play better football to beat a better team than the one they lost to last week. I mean, they shouldn't lose this game, but they shouldn't have lost last week. They've had a lot of instances where they have played down to uh, the level of their competition, or maybe have played below the level of their competition, honestly. But that's not where we're actually starting today's show. Because for all of the excellence that came from from both uh, during and after the game last night, Kansas State wins the Pop-Tarts Bowl, and it was exactly as festive as you would have hoped it would have been. First, you can go on the field and certainly appreciate where this team is headed right now. As we've had the discussions over the last couple of weeks about bowl season, so funny, I'm on K-State's ESPN page just to pull up the box score and everything, and the the top story is edible Pop-Tarts Bowl mascot among top bowl season food celebrations. We will talk more about the edible mascot, and um, I've got, I think, 90% positive, 10% hater takes. That's what I'm going to give you. That's where, that's where I'll draw my line. That's a tease. But as we've had these conversations about what you can and can't take from bowl season and, and the, the games that are always going to be impacted by things like opt-outs, 
I still have, and I don't know. Maybe I don't know why this is a spot where I have it because I, I have plenty of cynicism that have has bled through my sports fandom over the years. But I still have a little romanticism for bowl season. I, I think it's really fun that if you have a, a winning season and then win a game at a neutral site with a team you may have not played for a very long time, if you win that kind of random game after a long layoff with two-thirds of your starters actually playing, you get hats and T-shirts and a trophy and the, the, the kind of celebrations that come with much bigger accomplishments. I kind of like that. Is that very millennial of me? I love a participation trophy. I don't think that's what it is, but someone probably thinks it does. But I, I enjoy that in part because so much of sports boils down to one team being happy at the end of the year. And look, uh, Chris Kleiman would have much rather have lost in the college football playoff than won in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. I, I No doubt. I got it. I understand. But when you do still have all of these people, players and coaches, and to some extent fans, you know, putting in as much work as you have over the course of a year, and it, you can definitely include fans by just saying time and energy invested in a college football season, I think it's kind of fun that half the teams that make it to a bowl game get to celebrate with dunking their coach in Gatorade or potato chips or mayonnaise or whatever we're dumping coaches in now. Pop-Tart dust. I think that's fun, and it's part of the fun of college football that, frankly, not to end up really connecting a whole lot of dots here, but I I think as college football, and this is way pre-NIL, but as college football has become more and more professional, it would be reasonable to have some concerns about, like, when when does the, the whimsical magic of college football begin to fade? If it's just professional football, is it just professional football? In professional football, one team is happy at the end of every year. But then I watch a mascot willingly and excitedly lower itself into a giant oversized toaster. So a pastry bearing a close resemblance to said mascot can slide out of the bottom of the toaster where Avery Johnson and Chris Kleiman can take a fistful of the mascot and immediately consume it. And then I think, you know what? We're going to be okay. We're, you know what? The kids are all right. We're going we're gonna to make it. Because that's what college football can offer to you in December. The the on-the-field takeaways here also exist. Um, You you got some real Avery Johnson looking Avery Johnson plays. You saw the glimpses. He had at least that one play that sticks out to me of him rolling out and just absolutely missing a wide-open dude 15 yards downfield. He just threw it like three yards short. It skipped. It was ugly. Whatever. Those are the things that you hope. Those are the throws you got to make. You create some separation. You end up out on the run. You find a receiver with way more space than he should have had. You you have to have that. But I only even mention that play, and frankly, I don't know that the, the box score for Avery Johnson does the actual game justice. He, he had a pretty quick, uh, I don't even know if it was a quick trigger finger, because sometimes he waited until the last second. He was not afraid to throw a football away to try to survive in advance and, and live another down, and that's great. For a young quarterback, that's an okay place to be. Dude, as talented as anything, and I think that you're going to see those pieces keep coming together as he becomes a more complete quarterback. What this game provides, 
And I, and I think we, we talked about this with Jason Bean having it obviously very different in terms of it being his uh, you know final act as a member of the Kansas Jayhawks. And for Avery Johnson, you hope this is basically the first. I mean, he had plenty, had plenty of moments this season. But in terms of his first start and when things really began in the being optimistic here, the quote Avery Johnson era, however many years that lasts. You hope that tonight was the start of that for him again for Kansas. It was oh man, what a what a good send off for Jason Bean. But with K State last night, I think you could hear it from Chris Kleiman in the post game on field festivities. Asked many times about. Avery Johnson and what what he is going to look like for the future of K-State. You heard both from Kleiman and from the broadcast, a lot of deserving praise for Cooper Beebe. I don't know that it's the national stage or if it's a Pop-Tart stage or what it is. But what you got yesterday, if you're a K-State fan, is you got to watch your team play one more football game, be the better team throughout it. I, it got close in a moment or two, but Kansas State was clearly the best football team in the form of the those two squads that were out there yesterday. But you have to watch your team one more time. As Kleiman mentioned after the game, you finished the year as a top 25 team, which he said was important to them. But that was a good point. I'm not, maybe he mentioned that leading up to the game. I don't know. Maybe that's something they were saying behind the scenes. But you finished top 25... You see your team one more time, which is also, which is an appreciation for guys like BB and the guys who built the 2023 K-State Wildcats. And you get to drift an eye to 2024, to the future with Avery Johnson, missing, obviously, not just Will Howard, but, but several important pieces yesterday. You get to appreciate what this season's been. You get to look forward to the future. And you get to be the team, at the very least, in the background of the most viral moment of bowl season so far. You get to celebrate in a very silly way. And if that's not the exact point of bowl season, I don't know what is. I feel like I am ready to do a Hallmark movie where I vouch for or endorse the true meaning of bowl season. Yesterday was the true meaning of bowl season. And more than anything, I got to flip my TV from watching a Pop-Tart mascot sort of asterisk be eaten straight to Joe Flacco absolutely cooking. Got a little halftime Pistons Celtics overtime watch in the middle there. It's fabulous. But all in all, both teams on the Kansas side, I, I have been happy for, and I have enjoyed watching the type of football game they put on in both of their bowl games. Last night, that K-State acquitted themselves very well and, and got to accomplish exactly what you want to accomplish in terms of appreciating the guys who have been there, sending them off with a fun, weird win, and then looking forward to the Avery Johnson era and everything that that's going to bring with it. So let's talk about the Pop-Tart. It was a perfect spectacle, and I hope that much in the way that we look back on 
the Roman Colosseum and how that when you think of of that era of human history and what what peak cultural entertainment was like in ancient Rome that's what you think of I'm sure they were playing some other sports and stuff that got lost to time you know what we still have we still have the Colosseum so we have a, some idea of what's going on in there not great things not great to be clear but that's the picture of gladiatorial excellence for an entire era of human, of human history. That's the icon. That's what you think of. And I, I hope that thousands of years from now, someone, someone finds my tweet of the four-part story of the Pop-Tarts mascot fully animated descending into a giant oversized toaster holding a sign that I need to pull my own tweet up I believe said dreams do come true I do come true not do crumb true that would have been even funnier descending into the toaster and then at the bottom pops out sort of the pop tarts mascot I'll save my 10% asterisk hater mode whatever But uh, Roger Sherman, who's been going around the country this year, attending as many um, 2023 college football games as he possibly can, writing about it and covering everything, he's at Roger on Twitter. He got at Roger. He tweeted yesterday, I asked if it was offensive to eat a Pop-Tart in front of the Pop-Tarts Bowl mascot, and then its handler yelled out, it's their dream! And then the mascot grabbed the Pop-Tart out of my hand and started force-feeding it to me while making soft grunting noises. What what else do you what else could you possibly want from the greatest entertainment product in the world? I want to play multiple games with this. One being what is the next mascot that we need to be able to move into edible form? And also what is the edible thing that we need a mascot of? Here's the the one asterisk. So the Pop-Tart mascot that's been running around all game and everything, it is a Pop-Tart with a face and arms and legs. And if there's any kids listening, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to challenge any of the magic of mascots. But have you ever wondered why Willie the Wildcat has human limbs? I'm just saying. Maybe just ask a question. Why does this mascot, this Pop-Tart mascot, have human arms and human legs? It's a it's a mystery. No one knows. But it slides in. It's great theater. And then at the bottom, basically like a Pop-Tart cake kind of slides out. It appears to just be on, like, cardboard. And again, Avery Johnson and Chris Kleiman just getting right in there, celebrating the silly. Chris Kleiman seems like, generally speaking, a relatively serious man. You kind of have to be, I think, to run a college football program. Not a Not a rude dude. Um, I, I can't remember. I was filling him for somebody a year or two ago and um, talked to Kleiman for 15 minutes, and it was a great time. Good talker, good guy, but football coach. Another real plus of silly stuff like this, watching tough, serious football coaches break character to gnaw on a giant Pop-Tart, just delightful. It just warms my heart. 
But it kind it's a little bit of a bait and switch, right? There's a little bit it's a little bit of a bait and switch. I want the mascot that is running around all game. A tremendous mascot, by the way. Great mascotting work by the Pop Tart. I want the mascot's costume to be edible. And I know that I listen, it's hard for a Pop Tart to stay together in its natural size, in and out of a toaster. Much to my blood sugar chagrin, I've eaten four Pop-Tarts in the last two days. Eggo waffle flavor ones, by the way, excellent. Really solid. Maple-y. May I need to look at the nutrition label again, because the last two times I've eaten one of those, just one, not both of them, just one of them. I've taken so much insulin, and my, my, my body is still like, no, that's not allowed. You should not have done that. I'm like, I know, I'm... I'm sorry, I just wanted to eat. It's the Pop-Tarts bowl. My body doesn't understand it. It's fine. I understand that it would have been a terribly difficult challenge to create this large of a Pop-Tart that then could be worn and paraded around. Maybe sandwich board style could have gotten us there. I'm not sure. But I did kind of want to see somebody take a bite out of the mascot that had been like, you know, Fielding kickoffs and stuff all game. Taunting the referees, which I do support. I do think every football game should have a designated mascot who just runs around and harasses referees. I think you want referee accountability. If you make a bad call, Pop-Tart's going to taunt you. I think it's probably a pretty good idea. I think that could get it done. And also, while we're at it, I think an Ego mascot should definitely exist. Give me a waffle mascot. That might be... Structural soundness is going to be a problem for really achieving, like, the ideal... The ideal edible mascot. How about this? We've talked about the possibility of a Pringles bowl. I think it's their own... It's a Kellogg's brand now, right? I think Pop-Tarts and Cheetos and Frosted Flakes, I think we all we figured out. That was maybe Frito-Lay. Kellogg's definitely Frosted Flakes. I digress. You could have a mascot Pringles can, and then at the end of the game, the mascot could pour itself out, and then you could just eat its innards like a pinata. I think that should happen. That might be as good of an idea as we come up with. I like that a lot. Because it's not, the outside's not edible. But you could just fill the, you know, you could have a person, you know, allegedly. You could have a person in the costume and then just have an extra three feet on top of the costume that's just packed with Pringles. At the end of the game, winning quarterback comes over and puts a shoulder into that mascot. They go to the ground, the lid pops off. Boom, they just lay there. <laughs> They just lay there on the 50. No, no, no. Hang on. Spilling out. The winning team's mascot, a la Casey Wolf, yes. comes out of the tunnel on an ATV and then tackles the mascot. This is... Yes, Dylan. Yes. Imagine Willie the Wildcat charging out. Perfect form tackle. Obliterating the giant living Pringles can. What's really important to me is that the can hits the ground, the lid pops off, and Pringles come 
oozing out. If it, listen, it will be grisly. If you thought that the Pop-Tarts Bowl final scene was a horror movie, wait until you watch a college football team eat the entrails of a Pringles can. We can continue workshopping this. Um, if uh, if anybody would like to uh, make their suggestions for either edible mascots or like like either way on the pattern, like a mascot that you can make edible or a mascot you would like to or, or a mascot you'd like to create from an edible product, you can uh, you can hit the text line if you want. I, I uh, Jason has text line privileges. I gotta I have to pop that open. Or you can of course also leave your comments on the video feeds across the eight ten socials: Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Drop them in there, and uh, maybe Dylan will get to to lift an eye to the comments every once in a while and see if we get any uh, great recommendations. So we can we can keep an eye on that. But so far for the local schools, it's two for two for me in terms of the fun and the chaos and accomplishing exactly what you want to accomplish in the way that your team caps off a college football season. Now it's Mizzou's turn. I I don't think there will be a giant living edible cotton ball or anything tonight, Uh, but you can listen to the cotton bowl right here on your home for uh, so very much of bowl season. So many football games between all the NFL action and all the college football all right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB and over on ESPN Kansas City as well. We've got plenty of action going on there, but tonight coverage starts at 634 Mizzou versus Ohio State. Uh, The game kicks off at 7. You can hear it all right here on 810. We'll take a break. We will perhaps begin to turn an eye ahead to the NFL as Chiefs Bengals on New Year's Eve. It'll be the Chiefs' second chance in two weeks to clinch the AFC West, and I I don't know, guys. I don't know. We'll work on predictions. We'll talk to Matt Derrick at 11, Kendall Gammon at noon, Mick Schaefer at about 1230. We'll figure out what the right smart prediction for Chiefs Bengals is. But if recent history is any indicator, we're going to be guessing, and the Chiefs are going to give us some sort of surprise, maybe good, more likely bad, when they take the field on Sunday. We'll break some of that down, and also Jamar Chase is out here talking again. Not talking, he is talking. And uh, we'll see if that matters either, because as Dylan and I were talking about pregame, even that has a little bit of a pregame. Yeah, this shows a game to us. We were talking about pre-show, pregame for us. Even this has a little bit of a different feel to it. So we'll break all that down as we roll on here. It's The Zone on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I think a lot of times, especially in the NFL, rivalries are way more about the fans and the organizations than they are the individual players. It's a sport with a ton of free agency, a ton of turnover, And also, you got 32 teams and everybody is a professional. Like, I I really don't think that Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow hate each other. Now, you get your defenders versus your offense guys, and and you might be able to come up with some individual player-to-player rivalries, but there just aren't a lot of examples of it really permeating through players at this point. Just kind of an outside view there. Divisional rivalries still sort of matter, but even think about like Raider Week, not to dwell on what happened last week. I don't know if it would have changed things if the Chiefs would have had a little more personal disdain for the uh, for the Raiders organization. I don't know it would change anything. But like, think about when you hear 
taking you behind the curtain. When when you hear people in the media ask players about rivalries and and the tension there or whatever, a lot of the times the person's either asking the question or the player is answering the question for the fans. Because for the fans, it makes sense. Fans don't go to free agency. You grew up hating the Broncos. You, you watched John Elway rip your heart out. And then you watched Peyton Manning show up in a Broncos uniform and, and be annoyingly good again. And then you have the incredibly long-lasting streak that now you get to rub in the face of Broncos fans. And then you lose the streak. And now that actually really hurts. And then they appear to be completely moving on from Russell Wilson. And then you can enjoy the... The uh, what's the what's the German word for enjoying the plight of others? There's a very specific the Schadenfreude. I got there. You you can enjoy the Schadenfreude of the uh, of the Broncos. Rivalries are, are very very real for fans, but again, play and maybe even owners or uh, on some level, I guess if coaches are there for a long time, whatever. But really, at this point, rivalries are mostly for the fans. That's where they come from. That's where they're the most honest. Which is why I think the Chiefs and Bengals are a special case. Because I do not think these two teams care for each other. I do not think there is much love amongst peers. And it seems to be a spot where both sides are willing to do a little bit of trash talking in the week leading up. You can call it bulletin board material if you want. You can call it (laughs) foolish if you want. Willie Gay has done the, like, oh, what really scares you about the offense? Nothing. Justin Reed was kicking around Tyler Higby, Hayden, Hurst, Hunter, Henry. I don't think he said Hunter Henry at any point, but a bunch of tight end names. He's got numbers and not knowing full names, whatever. Those those have been full big things. And then yesterday, Jamar Chase, famous for many of his great quotes, such as, Pat who? Is that what, a month before before that Pat won his second MVP and second Super Bowl? A couple months before. But Jamar Chase rejoined the chat yesterday as he spoke to the media in the locker room, and it looks like he'll be coming back from his injury to play in this game. And he, he said a lot about a lot of things with the Chiefs. It's all locker room audio, so... The background noise and the reporters are asking the questions might be a little bit harder to hear than you'd like. But what uh, what Jamar Chase said is is very easy to understand. He was asked uh, about the Chiefs' defense and, and what stands out. And uh, it'll be a multi-part story here. But but here's the first most, uh, maybe most interesting clip from Jamar Chase. We know what we're capable of. Everyone in the lead does. That's why, they, that's why Casey doubles the way they do. What stands out about that secondary for the Chiefs? If I'm being honest, nothing. They just know how to play us. They know the leverages. They know what splits we in. They just know what we going to do certain movements. Um, they throw a little double-doubles at us to stop the two best players on our side, and that's all they do. I mean, it's not really like they got a Jalen Ramsey on these squads, you know what I'm saying? So not much. Let's work back. Back to front. They don't have Jalen Ramsey on their squad. They have two corners who have had better seasons than Jalen Ramsey has. Injury notwithstanding, look, Jalen Ramsey's an all-time great, future Hall of Famer, an excellent, excellent corner. Legarius Sneed and Trent McDuffie are both having better years this year than than Jalen Ramsey is. That's just a weird 
place for Jamar Chase to give credit. I don't know if he was just like Jalen Ramsey was probably the best corner in football when Jamar Chase got drafted, or his you know last year in college or something like that. And again, Ramsey's still really good, but sort of a weird dig there. Nothing stands out. They don't have a Jalen Ramsey. They just know what we're going to do and can double-team our best players. So they do that, and sometimes it works. It doesn't sound like bragging to me, but I think I think Jamar Chase meant for it to be. Um, here's another one from uh, from Jamar Chase. There's there's plenty of talking going on between both of these two teams. I'll let him explain. Hell yeah. They talk the most <laughs> That's why. Yeah, I love it. Uh, really just double double. Me, I got doubled and T got doubled. So, um, judges gave me the opportunity to make a play with the ball in the air. Who talks the most on Kansas City? Is Willie Gay still there? Yes. The linebacker, him probably. Yeah. I think people from the outside assume that there's a lot of hate there between you two, but it seems to be that it's just competitive fire. You guys enjoy that. What? Bengals and Casey? Yeah. It's football, man. I mean, y'all going to put whatever image y'all want on it already, so I mean. But you guys enjoy it? There's no hate? Or is there some hate? No comment. No comment. Boy, I, I can't even guess what he actually thinks. Spends all this time talking trash and, uh, playing up the rivalry and denigrating the opponent and so like do you guys enjoy the trash talk and everything? I don't know, man. You're gonna you guys decide if I like it or not. What? It doesn't make any sense, but much of this doesn't. One more clip from Jamar Chase and we'll break it all down. Him uh talking about uh, the Chiefs a little more here, and he talks about Legereus Sneed. His name comes up so he does know who he is. Uh but look, he's just adding fire to the fuel. They can take it how they want to. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm. At the end of the day, it's so much that I can do myself. It's not like I'm Iron Man. I can't throw the football to myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a team sport. At the end of the day, it's just. I know what I see on paper, and I know what I see in game. That's why they double everybody. Because they can't do it one on one. The best player on their team is Sneed. That's a fact. Everybody knows that. That's why they double-double everything they see. They just got, what, they drafted two new corners that's longer. They're trying to match Snead. That's why Snead at corner now. I already know it. Like, I'm not bugged about it. They know, I, they know I'm good. They know how to play us. That's what it is, but it's not like they got a superstar on their defense. He was dinged up in that championship game. Was he on Who? I can't remember. Who? I don't even know who that is. Is that number six? Um, I don't know, man. I don't. Just a guy to me. It ain't Jesse Bates to me. You want me to go comparisons? I. It's not the same. Just saying. There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, just some really good stuff. Their best player is Snead, but they double everybody. He went 6 for 75 and no touchdowns in the AFC, AFC Championship game. But he doesn't remember who was covering him or how they played him. But he does know they're not good. 
He does not remember how the Chiefs limited him in the AFC Championship game. But he does remember that Brian Cook is just a guy. He does remember that they drafted two longer corners. That would have been not Trent McDuffie, obviously. That's got to be Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams. So it's not accounting for Trent McDuffie. I don't know what he means about that's why Snead's playing corner now. I don't know if that's him saying that's why Snead's playing outside instead of in the slot now. But that would be McDuffie for all of his great traits. Length is not one of the ones that you would that you would typically associate with Trent McDuffie. But honestly, I'm I'm totally here for all of that. I don't think it's smart or accurate, but I do kind of like hearing it. Dylan, I know we have just we're, we're up against it before we hear from Lee Sterling, but I want you to bring in what you mentioned before the show today about how that audio would have made you feel in years past. Well, I mean, it makes me feel like there's a 30-point blowout on the other side, but now I'm scared, especially after the Jack Jones comments like you were pointing out. Stop the magician, you stop the show or whatever it was, and then he housed one. Yeah. It kind of feels almost similar to when the Tevin Smith comments came out in 2018 of the Jets. That's who it was. Where he was saying, oh, we're going to wait till after the game, and then we'll comment. This just feels like no one's scared this time. It's almost the end of the don't talk bleep on my homes before the game. And I don't want it to be, and I'm hoping that that is not the case because they're motivated because we ended their season, and he just gave us the motivation that we needed if we didn't already have it after last game. So I think it's a great take, Dylan. I really do. And I, I'm not I'm not here to say it is the end of that. Again, neither one of us are saying that it, it is now over. But this is something that you typically would not say about the full-strength, full-fire-breathing dragon version of the Chiefs that we've seen them be over the last few years. So if the Chiefs need any fire to the fuel— this is a free opportunity for it. I hope the guys in the locker room all see this. I, I'd bet you anything Dave Merritt and the corners and the DBs have all now seen and heard this audio. They will all know about it. But I hope Mahomes does too. I hope, I hope the wide receivers do too. Because the Las Vegas Raiders came into your house on Christmas Day and took your presents. Do not let this happen. Lose your AFC West hats one more time because the... Bengals come and do it, unacceptable. Have some pride in the fact that you're playing so bad on your side of the football that the other team finds it okay to take shots at actually the best unit on your team, the defense. When in years past this would be okay, probably. You probably wouldn't hear much from it after, but now with the way the defense is playing and how they have shut down people like Devontae Adams, Justin, I mean, the list goes on. Yep. Yeah. Basically, you're playing so bad on your side of the football that teams feel emboldened to say things about your best unit. So I also think that is great. You, the Chiefs offense, have let Jamar Chase talk bleep about LeJarrius Sneed, who's playing all pro level football. And like you said, Dylan, the unit on your team that has been carrying you this year. The Chiefs don't lack for motivation, like for for reasons to be motivated. They've got plenty. Again, win the division. Stop this skid. Stabilize your season. Get ready for the playoffs. They should be plenty motivated. But here's another opportunity and another version of a way you could be motivated going into this game. Look, I, I it, it could be adding more fire to the fuel, but I, if the Chiefs are going to win this game, I guess I'll believe it when I see it.